So last week we looked at the idea of trusting in who God is and that God will remain faithful to God's people and to God's covenants and that God is greater than whatever it is that we may be facing in our earthly lives. And as we journeyed through the book of Exodus and and the calling placed on Moses' life, we've gone from, from enslaved to free. And as they find themselves, as the Israelites find themselves free of Pharaoh, they they cross the Red Sea, as we hear about in Exodus 14. They, uh, God extends manna from heaven, as we hear about in Exodus chapter 16. And I, I invite you to go and read those chapters to see how God provided a way for God's people. But in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 3, we hear these words, that the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, and What shall I do for these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. And he called the place Massa at Mirabah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You see, after all that God had done for them, the the Israelites find themselves with a question. What now? They find themselves thirsting and going, what now? We know that God has provided for us in the past, but what now? And as we approach the season of Pentecost, it reminds me of what we hear in Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 3, where it says that after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this not the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. So, Jesus has been resurrected and he's walking around with his disciples for 40 days. But then we hear of this ascension. And there we find the disciples stuck 
looking upwards, waiting and wondering, what now? And the men in white come and say, what are you looking up for? Because they find themselves so caught up in, well, God just did something. Uh, Maybe He'll do something else. We don't know. And for many of us, I think we find ourselves waiting and wondering, what now? Our text is telling us that we don't have to just sit and wait. Actually, it's telling us not to just sit and wait. It's commanding us to do. Because the thing that we hear throughout the Scripture is that if you've got a pulse, you have a purpose. But we find ourselves, like the disciples, stuck looking at what Jesus has done. And sometimes we get so caught up on our past that we can't even envision a future or a way forward. We, we need to rejoice in what God has done. Don't mishear me. But also, let's not lose focus on what God is about to do. Because if we have a pulse, God has a purpose for us. If we are alive, God has a reason. Christ isn't just our past, but God is also our present and our future. So when you are asking, what's next? What is the next step for us? What is the next thing I need to do? I would would point your attention to verse 4 of Acts 1, where it says, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for a promise from the Father. He says, stay in Jerusalem. And then if you were to have kept, if we kept reading in verse 12 it says then they returned to you guessed it Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem You see, the disciples didn't necessarily know what was next, but they knew what the next right thing to do was, and so they did that. They didn't know the full plan, but they knew the next step. And I think for many of us, that's where our problem lies, is we're looking for the full plan, and God's going, just take the next right step. And if you're wrestling with what is the next right step, maybe you can ask yourself some of these questions, things like, why am I doing this? Whatever this is, why why are we going to do it? Why am I going to decide to start this ministry? Why am I going to go and engage in this activity? And be honest with yourself. What is your why? and, And then go further and say, what story do I want to tell? Because ultimately... We need to know the story that we desire our lives to tell, to proclaim, and act for the ultimate story and not for an immediate reaction. Too many of us are acting in the moment instead of really looking at our lives, and, and even as our churches, we're not looking at what is the story that we want to tell. Because every decision is a part of our story as well as God's story. Or maybe we, you know, we need to ask, what is the wise thing for us to do in this moment? Uh, I was listening to a sermon from Andy Stanley, and he says that the way that we can analyze if something is wise, he says, is that we can ask the question, in light of my past experiences 
my current circumstances, my current state of mind, and future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Taking everything into consideration. And then we also need to ask, what does love require me to do? Love of our God, love of neighbor. What does love require me to do? Because that's nine times out of ten going to be the next thing that we are called to do. Because remember, when Christ was asked what is the greatest commandment, it's love the Lord your God and love everybody else. So why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my driving? What is my why? What story do I want to tell? Is this the wise thing to do? And what does love require of me? Sometimes to answer this idea of what now, what we really need is a paradigm shift. Thomas Kuhn uh, would define the idea of paradigm as a way of seeing and thinking about reality. It's, it's the lens through which we view the world. It's the filter through which we encounter everything. And for many of us, we, have to, we feel like we have to know the full plan instead of entrusting God and taking the next step. That's our, our, the way in which we want to see the world is we want to see it all laid out for us so that we know not just the next step, but the next six steps. But revolutions, which is what we are called to be as the church, revolutions are only possible when we can break out of our old pattern, our old paradigm, our old way of thinking, and see and think in new ways. Because our understandings, our filters, our lenses are limited. Donald Miller, one of my favorite authors, is quoted as saying, I can no more understand the totality of God than the blueberry in my pancake can understand the totality of me. Yet, yet for some reason, we feel like we get everything that God is, to, is saying, and we understand God better than even God does. We, we, we understand it all. Nothing can change the way in which we think or act because we know what we're supposed to do, and we don't, but we don't grow in relationship with God. And so what we may need to do is take a step back and crush our limited paradigms and understandings. We must allow a limitless God to break us free from our limited paradigms and our limited understanding and our limited ways of approaching life in this world. Because our perception is very powerful. It shapes our paradigm. It shapes the way in which we see and think about reality. And as world-renowned author and speaker in the field of spiritual growth, Wayne Dyer says, Change the way you see things, and the things you see will change. You see, we've got to change our perspective our paradigm, the things that we think we know. because It's because of our broken perspective that we see problems. But, but God doesn't, all, doesn't see problems. God may be using those as a pathway. For instance, the death of Jesus was viewed as a problem. It stopped the disciples' plans and what they wanted to do and what they thought was going to happen. It, uh, it, it shifted everything that they thought they knew and understood. But three days later, God says, there is no problem here because it's a pathway for all of mankind. 
to experience everlasting life. And three days later, he conquered the grave. And the disciples went, wait a minute. We thought we knew. We thought we understood. We thought our paradigm was right. And God says, your paradigm was limited because you don't understand. Why don't you understand? Because you're not God. You see, we can get stuck so often in our own paradigms, in our own perspectives, and we get stuck on the question of why. Why did this happen? Why did the illness happen? Why does the, why did I lose my job? Why did my family fall apart? Why, 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 why? And don't mishear me. Why is always is a, is a good question. But in Acts chapter one verse sixteen, we we hear a, a paradigm shift for Peter because what he says in Acts one sixteen is, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Peter shifts. He's not no longer asking, why did this happen to Jesus? But he understands and says, you know what? It had to happen. Because it was God's plan and God's will. We, we didn't understand it, but even amidst this, God was creating a pathway in what we thought was a problem. And, and he didn't get this way, and we don't get to that point through our own reasoning. We, you can't reason yourself into understanding, but through revelation of God. And so maybe what we need to be praying as we approach Pentecost and throughout the Pentecost season is God open our eyes and our hearts that we may see this world as you see it. Because when our paradigm shifts, we stop asking why, but ask where. Where is this meant to take or lead us? It creates a kind of sacred suspicion that God is always up to something, and what God is up to is always something good. Because God is ahead of us. He is in our future. And while we may see a problem, God is making a pathway. So before we can truly engage with the plans of God or experience the power of God, we must reclaim a godly paradigm and a perception of good. That all of our problems... As scripture says, God can work together for the good of those who believe. That God is for us in creating a path. If we are willing to take the next step. So you may be asking, what now? You take the next step that God is calling you to. Amen.